When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Hour number two, the final hour of the week on 6.30 Chat Inside Sports. Dave Campbell in for Reed Wilkins tonight. And on Monday, Reed returns on Tuesday. This hour, we're going to cover a lot of topics. Still, uh, we're going to hit on this news today. The Oilers retaining head coach Todd McClellan, but uh, reassigning Jay Woodcroft, I guess. Uh, I guess that's one way to put it. Some might of you, some of you might say it's a demotion. Some might say it's a promotion. But Jay Woodcroft moves from the Oilers bench down to Bakersfield in the American Hockey League, and he will run the bench of the Bakersfield Condors, the top farm club of the Oilers. Uh, Jim Johnson and Ian Herbers will not return. Herbers is going back to the University of Alberta. Golden Bears were uh, quite sec- successful for his three seasons. There won two national championships and three Canada West titles. Serge Lajoie is out after winning a uh, national championship this season. So that's the uh, biggest news of the day. We'll hear from Jay Woodcroft in a moment. Also bring in Brendan Ulrich. Uh, the Eskimo season is starting. Do you know a month today, on May 27th, will be our first broadcast, Kellen, on 6.30, Chad, the Edmonton Eskimos at home of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders on the Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium. Preseason football, probably the most amount of names you'll ever need to know for a game this year. You got it. It'll go fast, too. I mean, oh, yeah. Camp opens officially on the 20th, the first on-field session. Mm-hmm. Then a week later, they play a game, and then mm-hmm. six days later, it's over. They play their final game in Winnipeg. That's it. And That's... then they... Not Still playing for real. Not going to sit and wait around. They're going to be busy in that third week mm-hmm. of uh, training camp when they don't play. Right. But uh, the games will happen quick, so can't mm-hmm. wait to have uh, Eskimo football back on 6.30, Chet. Oh, you know it. It'll be a lot of fun. So mm-hmm. we'll, we're, we'll hear from Kwaku Botang, who was uh, the steal of the draft last year in 2017, a fifth-round draft pick, and was the Eskimos nominee for most outstanding rookie. And speaking of the draft, uh, Inside Sports will be at headquarters of the Edmonton Eskimos on Thursday as the CFL draft will take place at 6 o'clock. The Eskimos drafting 6 overall. They have 8 picks in total. So uh, Reed Wilkins will be down there. Morley Scott, yours truly. So uh, we'll have a lot of football content for you on Thursday. And then we'll have some football content tonight here on uh, Inside Sports. And a big boxing card tomorrow, KO Boxing uh, 83 down at the Shaw Conference Center. It's Jelena Mergenovich's 50th fight. Uh, and it's great that it's going to happen in Edmonton. But the co-main event is also uh, will uh, will uh, feature a former Edmonton Eskimo. That's Adam Braidwood, who's now one of the top Canadian heavyweights 
in all of Canada. He's got a bout. So we'll uh, we'll talk about the fight and also one of uh, Adam's most memorable moments as a member of the Edmonton Eskimos. And no, it's not the time when he uh, sacked Henry Burris in the end zone in 2006 and picked up his first CFL touchdown. Um, tried to find that clip, couldn't find it. Um, but it, it happened to take place in Vancouver in 2010 and uh, it involves a bit of nudity. So that's all That's all I'll say. That's all I'll say. I think I remember what you're talking about yeah. here. It's hard not to, right? So, <laughs> uh, Jay Woodcroft, though, uh, now on the bench of the Bakersfield Condors, and uh, he says, you know, he's excited for the post. It was a process, but uh, one that I'm thankful that I went through and uh, super excited about the things that are happening within the organization and... Uh, my family and I are, are excited about this opportunity for me personally. Um, personally, I think it's, it's uh, something that needed to happen in my, my coaching career. I wanted to take the proper op- opportunity when it, when it provi- provided itself. Um, it's an exciting step for us as a family. And, and like I said, organizationally, I think this is an exciting time. There's a new wave of young players that are coming into the organization. And uh, it's a responsibility that I take very seriously and uh, looking forward to getting started. And the big theme is the continuity between Bakersfield and the Oilers, and Woodcroft speaks about that. I believe so. I I believe um, that the path to the NHL for Oilers pro, uh, prospects goes through Bakersfield. So anytime there's continuity of message, uh, as you use the word synchronicity, I think that's to the benefit of the players and ultimately the organization. Um, Todd and I have, have worked together a long time, and uh, there's a set of standards and way of doing things that uh, I look forward to bringing uh, to this opportunity. And I, I think ultimately, at the end of the day, it benefits uh, these young players that are coming into the organization and at, at, the, at the end of the day, the organization as well. So to talk more about this, uh, we pulled in Brendan Ulrich from uh, the 630 Ched Sports Department, producer of Oilers Now, who's, I know, Brendan, you're trying to get away on a holiday, and uh, we do appreciate you hanging out, though you're very busy. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in vacation mode, Dave, so uh, <laughs> bear with me here. I have a lot on my mind right now, but uh, I'm always uh, game to talk a little bit of sports with you, so it's all good. Well, you're working a long day today, <laughs> but you do have two weeks off starting yes. uh, tomorrow, So and you're going to Mexico, so um, and, and a busy day. Uh, we wouldn't normally do this unless it's a busy day, and the Oilers made a lot of news today. Um, I guess first and foremost, Todd McClellan is coming back behind the bench for the Oilers next season. Yeah, I think uh, it's the right move with McClellan, first of all. I think he deserves another chance. Um, a year ago, of course, at this time, they were in the playoffs. Last year, everything went wrong. Uh, I still think Peter Shelley believes in Todd McClellan. I still think a lot of the fans believe in Todd McClellan as well. The players clearly, I think, had their say at the the exit meetings at the end of the season, and clearly they voiced their opinions on the coach, and I still think that McClellan has the room. So, you know, you sit back, you uh, have a summer to rethink things, and uh, now all of a sudden you bring in a different coaching staff, and the message will maybe you know, change a little bit. Uh, if it's Trent Yawning, a guy that McClellan's known in the past, trust he can come in maybe, or if it's Gullison, who has a lot of experience, uh, you add that to a staff uh, with McClellan already uh, involved, and I think uh, you're on the right path. So, I mean, it's, it's what we expected. 
Um, I think McClellan is still a really good hockey coach, despite uh, what the special team said last season, despite the Oilers' record. Uh, I think it all sort of matters about how they get out next season, out of the gate. Like, if they get out to a good start, everyone can start rolling, and everyone will feel good. Mm -hmm. If they get out to a bad start, then doubts start to creep in. So I guess time will tell. But I definitely think Todd McClellan deserves another crack at uh, coaching the Oilers. It's clear that something had to change, and I think... Todd McClellan talked about it. We heard from Peter Shirelli um, earlier in the show. And it's clear when you have a disappointing year when the Oilers did not meet the expectations, and we're not talking about necessarily going to the cup final and winning a Stanley Cup, but make the playoffs, make a conference final. I mean, this team really underperformed this year. Um, and you just you just can't keep the, the, the formula the same. So something had to change. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, the other thing is, how much of it was Peter Shrelly's fault that they were where they were last year? Mm-hmm. You can place some of the blame on him, place some of the blame on Todd McClellan. Uh, I mean, basically, he had the players to work with that he was given. And uh, clearly, there were some shortcomings with the roster. And Peter Shrelly talked a little about that in his offseason avail as well. And he plans to identify those uh, areas in the offseason to make the Oilers better. You talked about the changes, though. Definitely something needed to change. If it's not going to be wholesale changes, you need to tinker with something. And that's what they've done here, clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like the fact that Woodcroft is now going to the AHL. Uh, clearly, he was Todd McClellan's right-hand man here with the Oilers. And now he becomes his right-hand man down in Bakersfield. So they'll work together and uh, try to uh, bring some players up through the system. And this is clearly... Uh, a big issue for the Oilers in the past is they don't have players coming up from the farm that they can add to their roster, which makes it harder on the GM as well, Peter Shelley, to go and find those players. So all of a sudden, you have a bunch of prospects down there. It's a really important year for Bakersfield. Mm-hmm. You'll likely have Yamamoto down there if he doesn't crack uh, the Oilers' roster in training camp. I'm assuming he'll start the season in the AHL and at some point be up with the Oilers. Uh, you'll have a guy like Ethan Bear down there next season. Caleb Jones, Tyler Benson. These are all the prospects the others are counting on. So to have McClellan up here, a guy he trusts in Woodcroft down there, sort of, you know, preaching the same message, it, it should help some, you know, keep everyone in sync. And when they do come up from the AHL, make the transition easier to the NHL game. So I like that move. And uh, we'll see uh, how the special teams look next season based on who they maybe bring in. And uh, we'll see how they tinker with that as well. And, of course, which players are on the power play, which players are on the penalty kill. That should also, you know, change things. We see power plays go up and down every year around the NHL and penalty kill. So mm-hmm. I think the Oilers, when they have a guy like Connor McDavid out there, they can figure it out eventually. I just think this past season it was so bad early that they just couldn't figure it out on the fly. Brennan Albrecht joining us from Oilers now in our 6.30 Ched Sports Department here on 6.30 Ched Inside Sports talking about uh, Todd McClellan being retained as the head coach, but the coaching staff is going to change and no word on when that coaching staff gets filled or who fills it. How realistic is it that there's going to be a former NHL coach, head coach on this staff as an associate? Huh, well, I guess if it's Glenn Galtson, then I would say yes. That would be the answer to that question. But if it's not him, I don't think it will be a former NHL head coach. So... Uh, it, maybe it's as easy as saying it like that. I don't know. But yeah. uh, it's. I guess Galdson's out there right now likely seeing what's out there. Maybe he wants to be a head coach for another team. If he doesn't get a head coaching job, I think maybe he'll say, hey, working with Todd McClellan might be a good opportunity for him to try to land a head coaching position in the future as well. So I, would, I don't know what, what other former NHL head coaches are out there right now that would consider 
would park their ego to become an assistant coach. At the same time, you're you're coming to the Oilers maybe to work with a, a guy like Connor McDavid. So there's that uh, on the other side of the spectrum as well. So it all depend uh, who's out there, I guess. I I would say Galtzen would make the most sense, but we'll yeah. wait and see what uh, happens with him. And we're spitballing a little bit yeah. here, and, and we're really speculating because we, we really don't know. I mean, Paul McLean's name was was bandied about mm. there. I don't know if that's realistic. I know McClellan and, and McLean worked under Mike Babcock in Detroit uh, way back when, but we're just spitballing here. But you would think, you know, <laughs> with Glenn Gullickson in the situation and how young he is, that maybe a step back might help him, but you never know what, what's going to happen around the league. I mean, some coaching changes could happen after the second round, right? So, Well, lots of rumors that Barry Trotz is uh, going to leave Washington. Uh, doesn't matter what they do. If they win or lose, it sounds like he's going somewhere else. So yeah. that's just the rumor that's out there. But that, that's another scenario that might open up for, for someone like a Gullitson. I don't know uh, what Brian McClellan in Washington would be thinking. But, uh, yeah, like you say, if teams get bounced out of the playoffs, there could be some more opportunities here. Okay, uh, draft lotteries tomorrow. Um, interesting format. Uh, it's going to be, uh, what, for a half an hour period, uh, f- number 15 to 4 will be revealed, and then 1 to 3, we're, we won't know until the second intermission of uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, San Jose Sharks, uh, uh, a game a game number 2 uh, of their uh, Western Conference second round series. So so set this up for us with the Oilers and, and, and the draft lottery and, and the odds of picking number 1. Well, they have about a 5% chance, I guess, to so pick not number good. 1. No. I don't think they will be picking in the top three. I think it will be uh, likely that they'll pick uh, somewhere around 9 to 11. And I know uh, we've talked a lot about maybe them trading the pick. I would not go that route. I would likely draft and develop. We heard Bob Nicholson in his season-ending uh, avail say that's one of the things he likes about Peter Shirelli. He's, you know, they've drafted and developed, and he feels they have a good prospect pool in place. Mm-hmm. Well, you have Keith Gretzky here who... Has a proven track record of drafting good players. Look at David Pasternak, Yamamoto last year. Stuart Skinner's playing great for uh, yeah, Swift Current right now in the playoffs. These are all Keith Gretzky guys. I think he's a valuable asset, so why would you take away what he does best and trade that pick? Like, to me, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Then you have the draft, or you have the expansion draft to, to worry about. You could lose a player there. Uh, this pick would not need to be protected in the expansion draft, so there's that uh, to look at. And... What do we say the Oilers need every year? A right shot, puck moving defenseman. Well, there's four or five guys that could be there in that nine range. Mm-hmm. So to me, I would keep the pick. And uh, you have McDavid's, of course, contract kicking in uh, next season. So you'll have some salary cap issues. Uh, you need players that can step in and play on an entry-level contract. And maybe that's who they'll get with this pick. But hey, if they pick in the top three, all of a sudden you have a guy that's playing on your roster next season, yep. and that's even better. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> well, if that scenario takes place, and especially if the Oilers do find a way to pick number one again, collective grown from the entire National Hockey League, uh, we will have uh, breaking coverage for you right here on 630 Chet. Brendan, thanks for your insights. Uh, big day for the Oilers, and uh, enjoy Mexico, my friend. Yes, I can't wait. Uh, Tuesday to Tuesday, I'll be a week there. Hopefully, uh Nothing bad happens. There's a lot of uh, chaos going on in Mexico right now, so hopefully I'll make it back. Knock on wood. Uh, please make it back. <laughs> yes, I'll be, be safe. Have fun. Be safe. Yes. Brendan Alwick being a little morbid here on 630 Side Sports. You better come back. Okay. You have a good one, buddy. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, Tuesday to Tuesday, too. Uh, smart. He's given himself a few days off before he comes back to work to recover. Smart thinking, young man. Smart thinking. Uh, it's still one nothing. Predators over... Sorry, the, the Jets. <laughs> it's hard to say the Predators... Hard not to say Predators over the Jets, but it's that's not the case. 
Winnipeg has a 1-0 lead off of a goal from Brandon Tanev in the first period, his second of the game. Even though the Jets really haven't had the puck all game. It's 31-7, the shots on goal in favor of the Predators over the Winnipeg Jets. But the lead is 1-0 for Winnipeg with just under uh, 12 minutes left to play in the second period. We'll update you on all the other scores and some other headlines from today as we return to 6.30 Chet Inside Sports in a moment. You're listening to 6.30 Chet Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. On the eighth shot of the game for the Winnipeg Jets, Paul Stassi scores his second of the postseason, and the Jets have a 2-0 lead over the National Predators game one of their second round Western Conference playoff series. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, Kellen, it's just, it's not even close. I, I, I can't explain it. No, but uh, 2-0. That's what the uh, that's what the score is right now. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll wait and see. It's still a, a margin where Nashville could conceivably come back, and by all accounts on a shot clock, they yeah. should be closer than what they are in the oh, game. But absolutely. Um, they haven't had the puck, nope, the Jets. That's but it. when they've had it, they've been able to do something positive with it for the most part. They've made a count. The shooting percentage is off the charts tonight. Pecorine has only stopped six shots all night. See, here's the thing. As good as Pecorine is, he is nominated for the Vesna Trophy, as is Connor Hellebuck. Um, now, you could you could debate back and forth who has the edge in that, in that department, but I like a goaltender that's as cool and calm and collected as a Connor Hellebuck. You know, Pecorine doesn't seem like a erratic kind of guy, personality-wise, but um, Hellebuck is just locked in right now. And what? look, he's made 31 saves tonight. Yeah, we're not necessarily dealing with both goalies with a Robin Leonard-esque type goaltender. No. no. Who I think has got, like, the shortest temper of any starting goaltender in the league. Yes, Bar indeed. None. Uh, the Toronto Raptors look like they're going to punch their ticket around two of the NBA playoffs in the Eastern Conference. They're up 100-90 to 90 in the late stages of Game 6 in Washington against the Wizards. So uh, that is uh, a good result for the Raptors. The uh, Toronto Blue Jays tonight in action. There's, they have started a series with the Texas Rangers at home. The Rangers up 6-4 to four in the uh, bottom of the seventh inning. Uh, some headlines from today. Team Canada adding goaltender Curtis. McElhinney for the upcoming World Hockey Championships had a 2.15 goals against average and a 9.34 save percentage in 30 or 18 games this season. Was 11 and 5 in relief of uh, Frederick Anderson when he was going through some uh, injury troubles, and of course he spells them off once in a while. Uh, also added uh, Pierre Luc Dubois of the Columbus Blue Jackets and uh, Ryan Murray of the Columbus Blue Jackets. So the uh, World Hockey Championships begin May 4th. In Denmark, Canada will take on the United States. News is next from the 6.30 Ched 24-Hour News Center. We come back, talk some boxing, and we'll talk Edmonton Eskimos football with one of the uh, brightest young defensive players in the league, Kwaku Botang, and uh, we'll hear from him. And some tough injury news already for the Edmonton Eskimos. One player is Dunzo for the 2018 season. We'll tell you about that. After this news update from the 6.30 Ched 24-Hour News Center with Thomas Dias. Campbell in for Wilkins. It is the gorgeous Friday evening edition of 6.30 Ched Inside Sports. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 6.30 Ched. 
Raptors. They are moving on to round two of the NBA's Eastern Conference playoffs as they beat the Washington Wizards 102-92. The bench was great. Uh, Fred Van Vliet, who has been uh, limited because of a shoulder injury, plays tonight and just world of difference with that second unit. And they were outstanding tonight. Uh, Kyle Lowry uh, was very good at 24 points. Uh, Bradley Beal on the Wizards side, and he's been great all season, especially when John Wall went down with injury. Um, he had 32 points in a losing cause. So the Raptors move on to round two. Who will they face? Not quite sure as of yet. Uh, elsewhere in the NBA playoffs tonight, the uh, Indiana Pacers up big on the Cleveland Cavaliers by a score of 62 to 47. And I believe, uh, yes, this is game six. So Indiana with a win, they will stay alive uh, with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And the Oklahoma City Thunder are visiting the Utah Jazz. The Jazz have a three games to two lead in that series. That game will get underway at 8.30. The uh, Jets still leading the Predators by a score of 2 nothing in the late stages of the second period. Game one, round two of their Western Conference playoff series. Uh, Edmonton Eskimos will play their first preseason game uh, a month today. May 27th at home on the Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium against the uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And we got the game for you right here, of course, on 630, Chad. It's a 1.30 countdown to kickoff. 3 o'clock is the kickoff between the two sides. Um, one player, <laughs> the injury situation was ridiculous last year. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, over a million dollars spent on the injury budget, which is more than double. Um and it's starting early. The Eskimos just got home from a mini camp out in Vegas, and James Tuck, their fullback and special teams ace, is out for the season with a ruptured Achilles. Now, I wonder if it is season-ending because it is April. You know, Achilles can take about six months. Um, it's I don't know. We'll see. It, it, it depends. But there is a possibility, perhaps, that he could play late in the season. That's just me talking. But the Eskimos right now take the position he's out for the season. So that's another Achilles tendon injury. You go back to 2015, John White. 2016, John Ojo. Last season, uh, J.C. Sherritt. Marcus Howard. Mercy Maston. Brandon Thompson. I might be missing a name in there. Now James Tuck. Who was good? And kind of one of those under-the-radar guys, but played only seven games for the Eskimos, had 16 special teams tackles and a forced fumble. So a key part of the special teams unit. Uh, Another key member of the Eskimos defense is Kwaku Boateng. Had a phenomenal rookie season. Was the Eskimos nominee for the most outstanding rookie in the Canadian Football League. And a fifth-round draft pick from last year, someone that, you know, I think teams looked at him and said, I, I, I don't know what, what Quaker Boateng, who ba- Quaker Boateng is. You know, what's his ceiling? That sort of thing. Well, all he did was come out with four quarterback sacks. He was one of the top uh, performers when it comes to quarterback pressure, wreaked a lot of havoc. Spoke with uh, play-by-play voice of the Eskimos, Morley Scott, uh, this week. And uh, first talked about why he did not go to minicamp this week, kind of had some schooling to finish up. Yeah, I think it was definitely a tough decision on my part um, not to go to minicamp, and I think it really came down to um, what was very important to me, which was my education. So I worked really hard for four years to uh, get to the point where I am with my uh, uh, my honors BBA, my honors BBA, 
um, certificate or a bachelor degree, sorry. Um, and it was just that I just had a lot of conflicting exams during the mini camp. So it was either I deferred my exams until next year or I got it done right, right there and then, and then uh, I could focus on football going forward. So um, I made the decision to finish my final exams, and um, this week I, I, finished, my, I finished my whole uh, undergrad. You need that. Uh, you need that education because you're not going to play football forever, right? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about the uh, the new look uh, defensive line. Um, obviously, some some key guys, some guys who've been around this team uh, for many years before you arrived last year are gone. Tell me your thoughts on on what lies ahead for that defensive line of the Eskimos. I think obviously. Um, as, as a young as a young uh, athlete myself, I'm starting to realize that we're far away from playing university or college football, right? In the sense that usually by the end of the season, you know that all your buddies are going to be back next season. Um, it's the the CFL and NFL and everything. When you go when you go professional sports in general, you start to see the other side of sports, which is the business business side. And I think that um, we're going to definitely going to miss people like Marcus Howard, um, Odell Willis, you know, Euclid Cummings, and et cetera. But the biggest thing is that I think we're pushing forward to uh, something great here. We have a young um, D-line. I know I have a lot of trust in Brock uh, Sutherland and um, our, new, our new D-line coach, uh, Coach Max. And so I think that we're going the right direction right now, and we just got young talent. And at the end of the day, we still got Amanda Cyril there to uh, hold it down for us from, the, from a bet, veteran uh, perspective. Yeah, because of injury, you didn't get a chance to play a lot with Howard and, and Hunt, who are not returning, uh, uh, and John Chick came late in the season. But you did play all season long with Odell Willis, and you're in meetings with him all season long. And I know I talked to you last year at one point, and you said you spent some time watching Odell and the other guys a little bit on tape as well. How much of a learning experience for you was it to play with and work with guys like Willis and Howard and Hunt? I think it was huge. It was huge for my career and me, me as a person off the field, um, because they just brought attributes that um, I wouldn't be be able to obtain such so early. In the sense that whenever I watched uh, tape, um, it more so practice tape, I'd watch my mistakes and figure out what I need to do better. By the end of the day, I'd be looking at Philip Hunt's four point stance. Um, so using that as a as, as an example of how to get in my four-point stance, you know what I mean, and get more, become more explosive out of it. And then when I want to look at new, um, new moves, I'd be looking at Odell, seeing what he, he did throughout practice, what he did throughout uh, um, the game. So I think that that was huge for me because I felt like I was learning so many things at once um, in such a short, well, it was a long season, but all of that information in such a short period of time. And I really, really can't thank them enough, Chio Dell and uh, Philippon, for really helping me change my game and make it, um, make it ready, pro ready, essentially. All right, so uh, you had an opportunity to, to learn, to watch and listen last year and play a lot. Uh, what did you learn last year that, first off, let's, let's talk about the offseason. What did you learn last year that changed maybe what you do in the offseason preparing for year two? <laughs> I learned that, um, again, I, I, I compare it to university ball a lot, and I think that that's wrong, but it, that's all I knew before I became professional. But the season is a long season, 18 regular season games, 18 guaranteed games. That's a long season. So one of the things that Coach Benavides from the bat, off the bat um, told me was to make sure I'm maintaining my body. I'm making sure that I get treatment. I get, uh, I get massage and whatnot. And 
those are the things that I've carried forward throughout the offseason. It's not about always lifting the heaviest weights. Um, and I realize that's more so of just being able to understand your body and never neglecting it. And I think that that was the biggest thing that I took to, to uh, the offseason, just making sure that I'm training efficiently and uh, training in a way where I'm, I'm working in high volumes, um, but at the same time preserving my body, if that makes sense. So there's a whole new philosophy or perspective of how I train now. So I'm looking at um, really really just surviving the whole season this year and being, a, being an impactful force throughout the whole season. Do you take a different approach into this year's training camp now, now that you're a, a year wiser and a year smarter? Uh, for sure. I think that now with training camp, when I came in training camp last year, everything was brand new. So I didn't know how to schedule when I didn't know how to um, practice. I didn't know how, uh, how things went. So now when you're going through the second time around, um, I think it's going to be a lot easier from a mental aspect in the sense that, like, I know the playbook. We have, um, we have mo- mostly the same, uh, same uh, coaching staff available. And I think that it's more so, it's less of a mental stress. And obviously it's going to be a physical stress, but that's a huge burden off my chest coming up um, a season, having that experience behind my back. So I, I look forward to this training camp for sure. I'd imagine you have a different kind of mindset going in because last year you're probably nervous, excited, and this year you're just more excited to to play football. Yeah, I think that's a good point because last year, um, again, just the draft didn't go the way I wanted it, wanted it to go, and I think that a big part of it was just my performance at a combine. I think that I got I got caught in between trying to um, trying to chase too many dreams or chase too many uh, um, objectives at one time. So. That definitely hurt my draft stock, and and I really came into the Edmonton camp and just thinking like, where where do I fit here? Right again, like I, I entered a, a club where they wanted to play All American D line, right, and I was just struggling to figure out where I would fit. And uh, I think it also became um, it ultimately helped me become the player that I am today because it left a chip on my shoulder. And just um, right now, I'm just playing. Last year, I felt like I was playing to show the CFL why. Um, I shouldn't have went down the fifth round. So I was really just trying to show Edmonton that I'm worth more than the ordinary fifth round pick. Tell me. Well, that's a quick Boateng with Morley Scott. And Boateng had an excellent year last year. The steal of the draft, fifth round draft, probably should have been a first or second round draft. And that's the way it goes sometimes. CFL draft is the hardest draft to predict what's going to happen because it doesn't necessarily translate what you see top prospects onto the field. It's not like the NFL draft or NHL draft or any other draft where you can see players play right away and be effective. Sometimes it takes some some time, but Kweko Boateng made a definite impression on the Eskimos and uh, definitely has a chance, I think, to be a starter, but for sure I think he's going to be in that rotation on that defensive end spot on a revamped defensive line that has a lot of new faces, some familiar ones. Amando Sewell now is the uh, elder statesman on that line. He's the only player on that line that's over 30, but uh, Sewell is definitely a force on that defensive line. Uh, Speaking of a defensive lineman, we'll talk to a former Eskimos defensive lineman, now a uh, very very good boxer, heavyweight boxer. Adam Braidwood joins us next. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. After two thirds to play now in Nashville, the Predators down 3 nothing, even though they are out shooting the uh, Winnipeg Jets by a substantial margin 
36 to 16. Here's what's interesting though. The Jets are getting a lot of scoring chances now. The Predators, not so much. And they're making life a bit easy on Connor Hellebuck with their shot selection. And the Jets are getting prime scoring chances now. So sometimes it's not the quality or the quantity of the shot. Sometimes it's the quality. Uh, Well, this was uh, one of the most memorable moments of my broadcasting career and of my next guest. And now we got got some streakers out on the field. And he's got a big lead on security. Yeah, he does. Uh-oh. Adam Braidwood's going after him now. Uh, if he had kept his back turned to uh, the crowd, I would have blindsided him. But the, nobody wins when you see someone trying to wrestle down a naked guy. He's still going, too. Oh. He's going to the end zone. Then he's going to jail, but he's going to the end zone right now. He's going to score. Touchdown. <laughs> Adam Braidwood, Canadian heavyweight boxer now. Then an ex, uh, Then he was a defensive lineman for the Edmonton Eskimo. He's a part of uh, KO Boxing 83, Jelena Marjinovic's 50th fight, and Adam Braidwood is the co-main event, and Adam joins us now. Adam, do you remember that moment? Adam, do you remember that night when you almost tackled a naked guy? I did. You know what? Uh, he came streaking across the field. I think we were at, uh, they had uh, the temporary field set up uh, in Vancouver there, and I guess somebody wanted to make uh, the 6 o'clock news the next day and uh, decided to streak across the field, and I saw an opportunity to to you know, practice uh, my tackling skills. And the problem is, when he turned around, I got spooked and uh, didn't really know how to deal with uh, you know what was in front of me at that point. I was shocked. Yeah, I think I think you made the right decision because you had guys on. I mean, there, there, there's jokers on every team. Um, I think Dario yeah. Romero would never have let you live it down. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I still talk to Dario this day. Actually, I sent his kids some uh, some boxing pictures. He's. Uh, He's still down in Spokane, and yeah, I think he would still be talking trash about that one. <laughs> now, that was a game in October. It was at, like you said, it was at the temporary field at Empire Field uh, because they yeah. were renovating BC Place because of the uh, because of the Olympics in uh, uh, 20... No, the Olympics already happened, right? Yeah, that's right. So they were, yeah. they were just yeah. uh, they were just getting the, the stadium all refurbished for 20, the 2011 season for the BC Lions, yeah. and, and that was part of a big run for you guys. Um, but before we talk about that, uh, what what was more surprising, the streaker or that Ricky Ray rushed for 135 yards? <laughs> you know, I, I, I didn't know Ricky had moves like that. He all of a sudden he looked like a track star. I think everybody underestimated him to the point where they had no defensive plan if he took off running. It was unbelievable. And he took some big hits. I mean, I think that was Solomon Elamimian's rookie year. And, and if I'm correct, didn't Ricky miss a game after that because he had a yeah. something like a torn or a, an, in, an injured back or, or, or chest? I can't remember. Yeah, he, yeah, he hurt his ribs or his chest or something. He. Uh, you know, I'll say this about Ricky, the most quiet, unassuming guy. He looks like he could sell you a couch at the brick one day and then uh, rush for 150 yards and throw, throw for a few hundred on uh, on Saturday. He's a tough, tough guy, man. It's, it speaks volumes. Like, why he hasn't even retired yet, has he? He's still playing last year. Yeah, that's you know, right, and he's playing again this year. <laughs> yeah, and so it's just it speaks to the guy's, like, heart and determination. And, you know, in sports, that's a variable that a lot of people don't count in. It, it, someone like that can just bring themselves to new level you have guys who are much faster and stronger and then rick just decides like nope i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lose this game i'm gonna take it over myself that, that was a tough season your uh your your late september early or all of october was uh, pretty sensational i think you were five and two down the stretch after a what yeah. was it like a three and nine start or something like that or two and nine start yeah. and you just fell yeah. short in that game in in, in regina yeah you know it, it was a, definitely a tough season and it's 
you know, I take it as a learning experience. I look, uh, I look back on my life, and you know, I, I, I don't have bad memories from football. You know, I just have learning experiences. So, you know, when I think of that season, I remember all the adversity that we faced. And you know, the biggest thing was is that you know we didn't uh, we didn't self destruct on one another. You know, we might have come up short in the games, but you know, we still stuck together and kept. Uh, kept playing and you know kept fighting right to the end right so yeah no doubt about it so we're speaking with adam braidwood uh former edmonton eskimos defensive lineman now a canadian heavyweight boxer uh and he has a big fight tomorrow on uh on a big card uh the the 50th fight fight for jelena Marjanovic. but uh, you got a fight uh, coming up against uh, hugo leon um tell me about uh tell me about the training leading up to this and uh about your i mean how much do you know about your opponent uh, we we know his only loss is to a very tough Tyrone Sprong, who was in K1 forever, and anybody who's been around the fight games heard that name. <laughs> he's a young fighter, and he's you know he's uh, he's still hungry. So I think at that age, even coming off a loss, you know he still probably thinks he's invincible. And uh, he has an extensive amateur career. He has uh, 60 fights, and uh, <laughs> uh, he has a lot more experience than I do. And he's a tough, durable guy from Mexico. And you know I fought a lot of the. Uh, a lot of guys who fight just like him, and you know they they come ready to fight, and he's he's gonna bring uh, you know he's gonna bring his Mexican style as he put it at the press conference to the to the table. So I fight Mexican style too, so we'll see what happens. Or is that known as uh, you, you talk about Mexican style? Because I noticed on your Wikipedia page it says your style unorthodox. Is is that is that described Mexican style boxing? <laughs> No, that was me about a year ago before okay. I met uh, my coach, uh, Richard Lestage. So, Rich, uh, you know, I was very fortunate. I trained in a very great MMA gym. Uh, I trained with Sarah Coughlin, Adam Kuchek, uh in Victoria. And then as I progressed, MMA is a very different sport. So I had a really good uh, idea of what boxing was. And then I met Rich, and Rich, uh, you know, is, is taking me to the next, next level in my skills. He showed me you know, uh, how to be a pressure fighter, how to, you know, like how to, how to fight Mexican style and, and be a pressure fighter and be offensive as well as defenses and uh, keep making guys uncomfortable. Before, I just kind of hucked punches and, uh, you know, I was fighting guys, you know, like cause yeah. MMA, like I said, it's a little bit different of a sport. It's You can make a few little errors here and there, like, uh, but technical boxing is very calculated. The margin of error is so low. That uh, you know you can't uh, you you don't have room for errors. You're going to drill the same little details over and over and over again. That's that's Adam Braidwood, uh, former Edmonton Eskimos defensive lineman, now a heavyweight boxer, part of the uh, uh, card tomorrow. Uh, KO Boxing 83 down at the Shaw Conference Center. Braidwood will take on Hugo Leon in a uh, six-round heavyweight bout, but the main event of the night will be a featherweight bout, ten rounds. Jelena Mergenovich's tenth, or sorry. Her 50th fight against uh, Stephanie Ducastel of France. Looking forward to uh, heading down to the Shaw Conference Center tomorrow and checking that out. Okay, headlines of the day. Of course, in Edmonton, uh, dominating the headlines. Todd McClellan retained his head coach of the Edmonton Oilers, but Jay Woodcroft moved from the Oiler bench down to the farm. He's now the new head coach of the Bakersfield Condors. Jim Johnson, Ian Herbers are out. Herbers has taken the, uh, or reassumed the job of the uh, Golden Bears uh, head coach for uh, their hockey team. That won't be effective until July 1st. Oh, I didn't mention this. Calgary Flames president of Hockey Ops, Brian Burke, will be leaving the team at the end of the month. He's been with the Flames since September 2013. Flames president Ken King says the team and Burke determined together that that it was time to move on. And just like that, Brian Burke got a media job. 
He's uh, going to be an analyst throughout the playoffs for Sportsnet. So there you go. Uh, three nothing. The uh, National Predators lead, or the uh, Winnipeg Jets lead the National Predators. Game one, round two of their Western Conference Stanley Cup playoff series. The Raptors moving on to round two of the NBA playoffs in the Eastern Conference. 102-92 win over the Washington Wizards in the Major Leagues of Baseball tonight. The uh, Toronto Blue Jays losing 6-4 in the bottom of the ninth inning to the Texas Rangers. Been a fun week. Thank you to studio producer Kellen Kennedy. Was great, a blast, man. Greatest Royal Rumble today was rather meh. Yeah. Wasn't meh. very great. N- was not great <laughs> at all. It was a great disappointment, as a matter of fact. I'll have more about that over the weekend on my Twitter. All right. Kellen Nitro. We'll talk to you next week. We'll talk to you then. There you go. Uh, be back on Monday. Reed Wilkins is back on Tuesday. And remember, the Oilers do find a way, <laughs> luck of the draw, to draft first overall. And win the draft lottery, we will have uh, breaking coverage right here on 630 Jet. Have a good evening and a great weekend. Talk to you Monday. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.